Hi, welcome to the podcast. This is Coffee and Books. I am your host, Scott. Welcome. If you are new, thank you for sharing with your friends and family. I appreciate any feedback you can provide about this podcast. And of course, thank you again for listening if you're a loyal listener. I do know that, uh, full disclosure, a lot of my Uh, listeners are from Ireland and Great Britain and other countries around the world. So if I mispronounce any of the following names, or if I don't get into too much detailed history, please don't blame me as this next topic is very, very long history and complicated. However, I will summarize to the best of my ability. I gave this book a four out of five and I recommend it for those of you who are interested in uh, Civil War history in the United States, and in particular, if you're interested in British and Irish history. Okay. So let's begin. When the Irish Invaded Canada, the incredible true story of the Civil War veterans who fought for Ireland's freedom by Christopher Klein was published in 2019 and is 281 pages long. I gave the book a 4 out of 5, particularly because I enjoyed learning about the Irish history. This actually connects to another book that I read not too long ago about the Troubles. So I was very glad to link up Ireland's history from the Troubles to the Easter Uprising and to before this, which is in 1866-67 and 1870, when the Irish um, soldiers on both sides of the Civil War, the Confederacy, and the Union formed an army together to invade Canada. So, without going into too much complicated history, let's just start off by saying that there's three different factors we have to take into play here. One, the United States was at war with itself and that nation eventually would heal itself. But at the time when this was going on, there was a lot of immigrants that were coming over from Ireland. And why were they coming over from Ireland? Well, for one, there was the Great Famine. Now, a lot of the Irish blamed the English, who were in charge at this time, the Great British Empire, for not doing enough to take care of the Irish. As a result, many influx of families fled for the United States for better homes and better countries. Some of those people were pioneers. Some of them fought, again, on both sides of the Civil War for freedoms that they believed were being denied to them in Ireland. So the main characters of these books um, particularly involve heroes of the Civil War. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, you know, the generals that fought under him, uh, played an active military role and trying to dissuade the Irish from invading Canada. Uh, More importantly, we have this long, complicated history of Ireland explained, and more importantly, explaining how in the world Canada is involved. Okay, so for those of you who aren't familiar with history and might still view history in a more modern lens, the United States and Great Britain have not always had the best relationship. After all, we were a former province of them. We eventually became our own independent country and separated away from everything that was Great Britain. Now, Great Britain is a a very large empire and consisted of many territories around the globe. Uh, So at the time of this, uh, the major factors in play here were, of course, Australia and Ireland and, of course, Canada, in addition to, of course, the United Kingdom. Uh, So why were these places important? Well, Australia was the penal colony where many prisoners of well, pretty much anything that the British didn't agree with. If they decided they didn't like you, they would ship you off to Australia. Some of these people escaped and managed to make it to the U.S., where, of course, their freedoms and ideologies were talked about and discussed in many heavily Irish towns and cities in the United States, places like New York, Boston, uh, but as far away as Wyoming, 
Um, and of course, St. Louis, Nashville, Cleveland, Cincinnati, pretty much any major city in the United States has a significant portion of Irish population at this time. And Irish fever is growing. Uh, first of all, there's a fear in the United States that the Irish are bringing a foreign religion to the United States. Um, so the, the Catholicism was not very popular in the United States, and the Irish basically brought it over when they emigrated to the United States. They were seen as the lowest possible form, uh, foreigners at the time. Uh, of course, as we all know, these rumors were soon dispelled, and of course the Irish, just like any other group of immigrants, came and worked their way here and built themselves fabulous lives. And uh, that's what makes it so fascinating, is that a lot of these first, second, and third generation Irishmen continued to fight against, well, Great Britain. And what they fought for was the right to have Ireland as an independent country away from the Great British Empire. So, there were two schools of thought that developed after the Civil War. One was that the United States uh, you know, should help the Irish form its own independent uh, government. And the way to do this was, of course, through two methods. One, they should decide to invade Ireland, or two, they should decide to invade Canada. If they invade Ireland, it would be a very, very challenging uh, military foray, mainly because it's across the Atlantic. It's Even though the, there's it's the homeland of Ireland itself, Ireland is, well, pretty much controlled by British soldiers. Great Britain is right there to provide reinforcements and just coordinating logistics, logistics of an, invading a, a country that's halfway across the globe from the United States would be pretty daunting. The second plan was to invade Canada. If a successful invasion of Canada was launched by these, uh, these brotherhoods, these secret societies that the Irish had formed, then Canada could be ransomed back to the Great British Empire for Ireland. At least that's what their initial great plan was. But of course, as we all know, best plans go, uh, you know, not according to plan. So what happened is something that's crazy that we're going to talk about here in just a second. Excuse me. I had to catch my breath there for a second. Okay, so basically the United States, like I said, has a rocky relationship at this time with Great Britain. The reason for this is because Great Britain had declared neutrality during the Civil War of the United States. The North and the South were fighting each other for dominance, but basically what it comes down to essentially is the United Kingdom uh, supported the Confederacy. They did not declare itself for the Confederacy. They did not do anything other than basically one thing, which was they uh, furnished a submarine to the Confederacy to use which, of course, is disobeying the Union. And, you know, they basically broke their neutrality by sort of aligning themselves, but not really, with the Confederacy of the United States. So when they did this, this enraged many, 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 many people in the United States, particularly the Irish, who are showing, you know, see, there's people who are trying to invade us still. You know, the English just want to use this as an excuse. So, of course, that never happened. The United Kingdom apologized for it. Uh, you know, the, you know the expenses were repaid, uh, but at the time there was a growing belief amongst the Irish communities that they would have the support of the United States if Ireland were to invade Canada. And as a result, uh, like I said, out of these secret societies, 
recruitment started happening and an army was established and an army actually managed to raid into Canada. Now, of course, what happened was is that this army was not prepared at all in the three adventures that they had gone to. And it actually did succeed in inspiring Irish nationalism, but it became sort of a story of caution and a story of intrigue that unites us all to this day. All right, so what happened? Well, basically, in the first raid, there was a success where a gentleman who I'm going to describe as O'Neill managed to lead the first Irish victory over to English in a very, very long time. And as a result, he was basically considered an Irish hero. Even though the battle took Canada by surprise and Great Britain and pretty much everyone involved the first time, uh, it basically resulted in nothing happening. There was no great fanfare, no Irish Republic in Canada set up, nothing, just a brief foray of a raid into Ireland, I'm sorry, into Canada by the Irish and then back into the United States. Andrew Johnson was the president of the United States at this time. He was facing heavy pressure from, of course, Great Britain, the Irish vote in the United States, and of course, his impeachment and scandals that were causing him many, many headaches. But as a result, he had at first promised the Irish supporters, uh, you know, like that the U.S. would do nothing to intervene and prevent them from going over to Canada. If they decided they wanted to, they would have his blessing. Of course, the reality was he realized that that probably wasn't the best idea to send the Irish over and to support them. So as a result, U.S. Marshals prevented the arms and shipments from going over to the Canadian side during the first siege, which is what caused the Irish army to return back to the United States and face arrest because they had violated neutrality laws that declared any group of people who were attacking a sovereign group of people in another country as violating neutrality laws. But there was much outrage on both sides. Many people said anyone who's a prisoner uh, you know, from this in the United States and in Canada and in even Ireland should face, well, pretty much what Great Britain determined as the death penalty. Uh, but the United States was more sympathetic to the cause of the Irish, and as a result, a lot of the sentences were commuted. And in Canada, even, a lot of the sentences were, even though harsher than the United States, they were not seen as uh, fully a death penalty. They might work you know, in a, a penial labor camp for 20 years, but they would still eventually one day regain their freedom. Um, but many... Many small little bands of people would get together over the course of, uh, like I said, 1860 to 1870, with O'Neill famously leading the charge into the territory. But like I said, after the second time, you know, this happened and nothing came about, many of the supporters of Ireland uh, pretty much stopped going over there. You know, the first time they had the manpower, but no guns. The second time, uh, it was, you know, Canada, Great Britain, and the United States were prepared for it, of course, but there were no people who showed up, and as a result, the Irish army again had to return. And lastly, of course, the third foray was into, of course, Manitoba, which is very interesting to me that this is even a thing, but apparently there were a group of people who were French, um, Native American, mixed groups of people that were against Canada, 
joining itself into like a confederacy with Great Britain. But these people were basically interested in aligning themselves with the Irish army that was invading, but then that did not go through according to plan. So then, of course, after the third foray and failure of the Irish to fail to invade Canada, the spirit or patriotism of the Irish in the United States at this time sort of dampered down until the 1915 uprising. So that's a later topic which leads into a many, many, many complicated uh, issues and situations which still affect Great Britain and Ireland today. But let me just say this, that the seeds of the Irish Republic were sown when the people in the United States worked together, you know, Union and Confederate soldiers who had just not long ago fought against each other, worked together to fight for what they believed was a righteous cause. And they blamed Canada, not because it was actually Canada's fault, but because Canada was a province of Great Britain. And as a result, they were the nearest target, and as a result, they attempted to do something that was unthinkable. The end result, of course, is that what we're left with today is some minor footnotes in history. But these footnotes, like I said, developed into what would eventually be the seeds of the empire that would form the Irish Republic in much later time periods, in the early 1900s. But of course, all of this is beyond my scope of history, and I just thought that I just loved learning about the Irish when they invaded Canada. Anyway, thank you for listening again. I hope all of you enjoyed this podcast, and uh, thank you again for sharing. Uh, You can reach me uh, at Scott, S-C-O-T-T, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, 16, at yahoo.com. If you have any questions or you want me to read anything else, our next book is going to be about Marco Polo um, and Venice, uh, but we'll see what's on the horizon in the future. Uh, I have an exciting announcement to make that I have actually managed to read 52 books out of 55 for the year, so I'm well on track to finishing my goal. Uh, Thank you again for listening to the podcast, and I hope all of you have a wonderful day. Goodbye. Hi, welcome to the podcast. This is Coffee and Books. I am your host, Scott. Welcome. If you are new, thank you for sharing with your friends and family. I appreciate any feedback you can provide about this podcast. And of course, thank you again for listening if you're a loyal listener. I do know that, uh, full disclosure, a lot of my uh, listeners are from Ireland and Great Britain and other countries around the world. So if I mispronounce any of the following names or if I don't get into too much detailed history, Please don't blame me as this next topic is very, very long history and complicated. However, I will summarize to the best of my ability. I gave this book a 4 out of 5 and I recommend it for those of you who are interested in uh, Civil War history in the United States and in particular if you're interested in British and Irish history. Okay, so let's begin. When the Irish Invaded Canada, the incredible true story of Civil War veterans who fought for Ireland's freedom by Christopher Klein was published in 2019 and is 281 pages long. I gave the book a 4 out of 5, particularly because I enjoyed learning about the Irish history. This actually connects to another book that I read not too long ago about the Troubles. So I was very glad to link up Ireland's history from the Troubles to the Easter Uprising and to before this, which is in 1866, 67, and 1870, when the Irish... um, 
soldiers on both sides of the Civil War, the Confederacy and the Union formed an army together to invade Canada. So, without going into too much complicated history, let's just start off by saying that there's three different factors we have to take into play here. One, the United States was at war with itself, and that nation eventually would heal itself. But at the time when this was going on, there was a lot of immigrants that were coming over from Ireland. And why were they coming over from Ireland? Well, for one, there was the Great Famine. Now, a lot of the Irish blamed the English, who were in charge at this time, the Great British Empire, for not doing enough to take care of the Irish. As a result, many influx of families fled for the United States for better homes and better countries. Some of those people were pioneers. Some of them fought again on both sides of the Civil War for freedoms that they believed were being denied to them in Ireland. So the main characters of these books um, particularly involve heroes of the Civil War. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, you know, the generals that fought under him, uh, played a, an active military role and trying to dissuade the Irish from invading Canada. Uh, more importantly, we have this long, complicated history of Ireland explained, and more importantly, explaining how in the world Canada is involved. Okay, so for those of you who aren't familiar with history and might still view history in a more modern lens, the United States and Great Britain have not always had the best relationship. After all, we were a former province of them. We eventually became our own independent country and separated away from everything that was Great Britain. Now, Great Britain is a very large empire and consisted of many territories around the globe. Uh, so at the time of this, uh, the major factors in play here were, of course, Australia and Ireland and, of course, Canada, in addition to, of course, the United Kingdom. Uh, so why were these places important? Well, Australia was the penal colony where many prisoners of, well, pretty much anything that the British didn't agree with, if they decided they didn't like you, they would ship you off to Australia. Some of these people escaped and managed to make it to the U.S., where, of course, their freedoms and ideologies were talked about and discussed in a many heavily Irish towns and cities in the United States, places like New York, Boston, uh, but as far away as Wyoming, um, and of course, St. Louis, Nashville, Cleveland, Cincinnati, pretty much any major city in the United States has a significant portion of Irish population at this time. And Irish fever is growing. Uh, first of all, there's a fear in the United States that the Irish are bringing a foreign religion to the United States. Um, so... The Catholicism was not very popular in the United States, and the Irish basically brought it over when they emigrated to the United States. They were seen as the lowest possible foreigners at the time. Uh, of course, as we all know, these rumors were soon dispelled, and of course, the Irish, just like any other group of immigrants, came and worked their way here and built themselves fabulous lives. And uh, that's what makes it so fascinating, is that a lot of these first, second, and third generation Irishmen continued to fight against, well, Great Britain. And what they fought for was the right to have Ireland as an independent country away from the Great British Empire. So, there were two schools of thought that developed after the Civil War. One was that the United States uh, you know, should help the Irish form its own independent uh, Government And the way to do this was, of course, through two methods. One, they should decide to invade Ireland, or two, they should decide to invade Canada. If they invade Ireland, it would be a very, very challenging 
military foray, mainly because it's across the Atlantic. It's even though that there's it's the homeland of Ireland itself. Ireland is well pretty much controlled by British soldiers. Great Britain is right there to provide reinforcements and just coordinating logistics logistics of an invading a, a country that's halfway across the globe from the United States would be pretty daunting. The second plan was to invade Canada. If a successful invasion of Canada was launched by these uh, these brotherhoods, these secret societies that the Irish had formed, then Canada could be ransomed back to the Great British Empire for Ireland. At least that's what their initial great plan was. But of course, as we all know, best plans go, uh, you know, not according to plan. So what happened is something that's crazy that we're going to talk about here in just a second. Excuse me. I had to catch my breath there for a second. Okay, so basically the United States, like I said, has a rocky relationship at this time with Great Britain. The reason for this is because Great Britain had declared neutrality during the Civil War of the United States. The North and the South were fighting each other for dominance. But basically what it comes down to essentially is the United Kingdom uh, supported the Confederacy. They did not declare itself for the Confederacy. They did not do anything other than basically one thing, which was they uh, furnished a submarine to the Confederacy to use, which of course is uh, disobeying the Union. And, you know, they basically broke their neutrality by sort of aligning themselves, but not really, with the Confederacy of the United States. So when they did this, this enraged many, 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 many people in the United States, particularly the Irish who are showing, you know, see, there's people who are trying to invade us still. You know, the English just want to use this as an excuse. So, of course, that never happened. The United Kingdom apologized for it. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the expenses were repaid. Uh, but at the time, there was a growing belief amongst the Irish communities that they would have the support of the United States if Ireland were to invade Canada. And as a result, uh, like I said, out of these secret societies... Recruitment started happening, and an army was established, and an army actually managed to raid into Canada. Now, of course, what happened was is that this army was not prepared at all in the three adventures that they had gone to, and it actually did succeed in inspiring Irish nationalism, but it became sort of a story of caution and a story of intrigue that unites us all to this day. All right, so what happened? Well, basically, in the first raid, there was a success where a gentleman who I'm going to describe as O'Neill managed to lead the first Irish victory over to English in a very, very long time. And as a result, he was basically considered an Irish hero. Even though the battle took Canada by surprise and Great Britain and pretty much everyone involved the first time, uh, it basically resulted in nothing happening. There was no great fanfare, no Irish Republic in Canada set up, nothing, just a brief foray of a raid into Ireland, I'm sorry, into Canada by the Irish, and then back into the United States. Andrew Johnson was the president of the United States at this time. He was facing heavy pressure from, of course, Great Britain, the Irish vote in the United States, and, of course, his impeachment and scandals that were causing him many, many headaches. But as a result, he had at first promised the Irish supporters 
uh, you know, like that the U.S. would do nothing to intervene and prevent them from going over to Canada. If they decided they wanted to, they would have his blessing. Of course, the reality was he realized that that probably wasn't the best idea to send the Irish over and to support them. So as a result, U.S. Marshals prevented the arms and shipments from going over to the Canadian side during the first siege, which is what caused the Irish army to return back to the United States and face arrest because they had violated neutrality laws that declared any group of people who were attacking a sovereign group of people in another country as violating neutrality laws. But there was much outrage on both sides. Many people said anyone who's a prisoner uh, you know, from this in the United States and in Canada and in even Ireland should face, well, pretty much what Great Britain determined as the death penalty. Uh, but the United States was more sympathetic to the cause of the Irish, and as a result, a lot of the sentences were commuted. And in Canada, even, a lot of the sentences were, even though harsher than the United States, they were not seen as uh, fully a death penalty. They might work you know, in a, a penial labor camp for 20 years, but they would still eventually one day regain their freedom. Um, but many, many small little bands of uh, people would get together over the course of uh, like I said, 1860 to 1870, with O'Neill famously leading the charge into the territory. But, like I said, after the second time, you know, this happened and nothing came about, many of the supporters of Ireland uh, pretty much stopped going over there. You know, the first time they had the manpower, but no guns. The second time, uh, it was, you know, Canada, Great Britain, and the United States were prepared for it, of course, but there were no people who showed up, and as a result, the Irish army again had to return. And lastly, of course, the third foray was into, of course, Manitoba, which is very interesting to me that this is even a thing, but apparently there were a group of people who were French, um, Native American, mixed groups of people that were against Canada uh, joining itself into like a confederacy with Great Britain, but these people were basically interested in aligning themselves with the Irish army that was invading, but then that did not go through according to plan. So then, of course, after the third foray and failure of the Irish to fail to invade Canada, the spirit or patriotism of the Irish in the United States at this time sort of dampened down until the 1915 uprising. So that's a later topic which leads into a many, many, many complicated uh, issues and situations which still affect Great Britain and Ireland today. But let me just say this, that the seeds of the Irish Republic were sown when the people in the United States worked together, on, you know, Union and Confederate soldiers who had just not long ago fought against each other, worked together to fight for what they believed was a righteous cause. And they blamed Canada not because it was actually Canada's fault, but because Canada was a province of Great Britain. And as a result, they were the nearest target, and as a result, they attempted to do something that was unthinkable. The end result, of course, is that what we're left with today is some minor footnotes in history. But these footnotes, like I said, developed into what would eventually be the seeds of the empire that would form the Irish Republic and 
much later time periods, in the early 1900s. But, of course, all of this is beyond my scope of history, and I just thought that I just loved learning about the Irish when they invaded Canada. Anyway, thank you for listening again. I hope all of you enjoyed this podcast, and uh, thank you again for sharing. Uh, You can reach me uh, at Scott, S-C-O-T-T, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, 16, at yahoo.com. If you have any questions or you want me to read anything else, our next book is going to be about Marco Polo um, and Venice, uh, but we'll see what's on the horizon in the future. Uh, I have an exciting announcement to make that I have actually managed to read 52 books out of 55 for the year, so I'm well on track to finishing my goal. Uh, Thank you again for listening to the podcast, and I hope all of you have a wonderful day. Goodbye.